With a history of 5,000 years, it's no surprise that China has created a fabulous treasury of folk tales. Once a year, on the seventh day of the seventh month, all the magpies fly up to heaven and form a bridge. So many amazing worlds to discover. I want a new palace, said King Mu of Zhou one day. Chinese folk tales retold for audiences today. Will, will you marry me? He asked. And with little hesitation, she said, <laughs> Yes! 5,000 years of amazing Chinese folk tales. My father must not go to war. Someone must take his place. You'll find Chinese Folk Tales Season 3, wherever you discover your favorite podcasts. keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing, I'm He Young. Good as always to have you join us. Choosing a major can be tricky, especially if you're unsure about your passion or don't know what kind of career you want. Let's face it, how many 18-year-olds have it figured out, right? We'll weigh in on the factors to consider before you commit to the right college major for you. And we share with you what's made us happy this week in Roundtable's Happy Place. For today's program, I'm joined by Yushun in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. First on today's show. Around this time every year, the grueling Gaokao, or the National College Entrance Examination, settles its dust. And here comes the season to research, calibrate, and consider your options in choosing the right college major for any incoming freshman. Given the growing range of academic disciplines, fast-changing employment trends, and the fact that lots of young people simply don't have any idea what they want to commit to academically for the next four years of their life, making the choice of the right college major is as difficult and confusing as it may be. Recently, a viral video of a postgraduate education advisor lambasting the college major of journalism has sparked a heated debate about college majors altogether. So, what is at the heart of the debate? Is it liberal arts versus science majors or the bleak job prospects of journalism? Or what do you think you should? Yeah, the origin of this debate actually can be traced back to a consultation session about should that specific student choose journalism as his major and the coach explicitly claimed that you should never choose to study journalism. <laughs> yeah, and then a professor from Chongqing University whose name is Zhang Xiaoqiang countered the argument. He stated that the journalism is a versatile field that offers both intellectual and practical skills and mainstream media remains an industry that provides employment opportunities. And after that, in an interview with iNewsWeek, which is a domestic media outlet, this coach refuted the claim and then compared the number of his followers with Professor Zhang Xiaoqiang's followers, and then a further question about this major, as well as aroused the discussion on should we choose journalism as our major, or even what can be the perfect, or what can be called as a good major for high school graduates. 
Interesting. So the criteria to judge whether this person is successful or not, or his opinion is worth our attention, is to look at one's number of social media followers. Do you even agree with that kind of assessment? Josh, what do you think? And what are, were your thoughts when you, well, when you look at this uh, debate as such? I, I think that it's very challenging. I think that teachers often know just as little as the students, to be honest. And I think that everybody has their own motivations and their own personal experiences that are really going to shape the way that they feel about their major because it really is such a fundamental part of your life. It's this one subject that you study during the most formative years, usually, of one's life, the, the years when you mature, at least to some degree, um, and you start to forge your path. So it's really important. And I think that um, sometimes people can overthink it a lot. And I think sometimes these professors in my opinion, you're also overthinking and overanalyzing it a bit as well. Well, and there's also um, the matter of motive, because, you know, if you're somebody who's writing on the popularity of social media and also getting the number of clicks could be directly translated to the amount of money you're earning, then sensationalizing things and making these comments that would bound to get people angry and start commenting, you know, that's one way of doing it. And also, you know, when it's, let's say, a professor or somebody who works in the industry who takes like personal pride in what they do, and suddenly hearing somebody saying that nothing you do is worth anything, this is an industry that is going to die out in a matter of years or something like that. I mean, of course, this person is not going to be happy about it and wants to sort of offer the other side of the argument as well. And especially if you're talking about um, maybe certain educators are looking to see, can we even get enough people to fill the seats in the classroom for the next school year? Well, there's also another motive there, right? So I think it's really important to sort of decipher and differentiate what people's motives could be on social media when, you know, so many people sort of chime in and everybody feels like they're entitled to their own opinion when you as an observer or somebody looking at the situation, it's kind of, I think it takes some education, maybe it's outside of the classroom, but um, to sort of really understand what's going on and why are people saying these things. And actually, a lot of uh, parents are agreeing on uh, this coach because, to be honest, he's got quite amount of um, you know followers, right? That we have to admit that, which means a lot of people agree his viewpoints, and uh, uh, many people are saying that he is actually just stating from the perspective of parents and um, students. So that's why some professors may think his comments a little bit stingy. And he is talking about this issue uh, solely on the circumstance of this particular student. He's giving suggestions on him who is quite good at mathematics. Mm. Yeah, and then that means that if he choose the major of journalism, he cannot utilize his advantages in this major. And then that's why he is suggesting that she, he should not choose journalism. 
So what? This person is really good at mathematics, but he、mm. wants to study in the school of journalism. Right. So maybe this person's interest and passion is going the liberal arts route, whereas he's pretty good at maths. Maybe he's also good at liberal arts, and this is also a heated debate, which garners attention. I feel almost every year. That、mm. is, liberal arts subjects don't seem to. Bring huge paychecks, and also people say that liberal arts graduates might find it difficult in getting a job that can directly translate their skills. Unlike some of the science majors, for example, you know you can become a programmer, an engineer, or whatnot, and therefore there is this debate about you know whether liberal arts. Majors are even worth your time. So, Josh, you're from the UK. Do you guys have a similar kind of discussion at home, or what do you think about this? Yeah, well, I'm I'm from the UK. I'm also a liberal arts major as well. Defend、um, and... your major, <laughs> or not? <laughs> well, I'm I'm going to try not to make it too personal and and subjective because I think that there is, of course, some truth to this idea that. Studying liberal arts, you know, I think the the employment rate afterwards it's quite difficult to get good stats on this actually,、um, because people, you know, it's it's hard to determine like statistically whether or not your major was the direct reason as to why you got the job, right? So obviously we can assume that it may well be, and I do. I think that there is some truth to it. Liberal arts,、um, the STEM subjects. For example,、mm-hmm. science, technology, economic, mathematics, etc. These、um, do end up with, you know, a lot of people earning more money. I, I think that there's there's some truth to that. So I, I don't think that there's much to defend there. But of course, it's not worthless. And I also want to say that it's not really. I don't believe it's right to strictly pigeonhole to distinguish between majors to the point where the skills that, for example, You might have in mathematics are not translatable to another subject. Even something that may seem as、um, unrelated as a liberal arts subject like sociology, but of course, being good at mathematics could really help you become an amazing sociologist as well. There's a bunch of statistics、yep. in sociology analysis. All of these skills are super translatable. So, whose issue is this really? Is it more to do with? The employer afterwards, I'm not sure because ultimately, I think that you should study what you're passionate about because you're going to probably be much more successful and then enjoy your time at university. I think there are some primary and really important factors that you're alluding to here, Josh. Because what、uh, I think is super important for anybody, not just a high school graduate who's looking to go into university, but identify your strengths. And also passion. What do you want to do? What interests you?、Um, I, for someone, I've used this example many times, but I just can't do numbers. I hate them so much. And despite you know, when I was studying in the UK, everybody's like, "Oh, you're from China. You must be good at maths." I, I got good grades, but it took a lot of my time, and I hated it. So even if Regardlessly, like if I went, I just know if I go down that route, I'm just gonna be extremely unhappy about it. So, well, you know, 
getting uh, doing a degree in political science, which requires a lot of essay writing in my second language, English, sounded like a more difficult thing to do. But that's what I wanted to do, and therefore, you know, I'm I'm happy to put in time and effort as such. So for everybody, the decision results are different, but the decision process can be somewhat similar. That is, you need to like weigh these different factors and see、um, which is the best for you. There's no right or wrong answer. There's only what's best suitable to you. And also, don't forget how the Chinese system works: is that once you applied and you have like multiple choices as such, but、um, which one can you? Or will you be admitted to is another thing, and sometimes people need to be kind of strategic in making the application. And therefore, college majors,、um, this is definitely something that is a big decision to make for those at sort of this particular time in their lives. Yes, and also I think sometimes it's not only about these major. You know, it's also. About the capability of the student, or even you know the the trend of the market, right? Both types of majors have seen actually regret expressed by students studying the subject online, and maybe it is、um, believed that liberal arts majors are less likely to find employment or may end up working in fields like unrelated to their expertise compared to science majors. But actually, we can see a lot of people. Who are in science majors are also claiming that just telling people don't choose science majors because it's just so hard to get an internship. It's also very hard for them to get a high pay because maybe all of these、um, high paid people who are just five percent of this industry and they are majoring science, but the general public are still having you know the the common the general payment. So it's useful, may I say? To sort of have an idea of the job prospects and the starting salaries, as such. But if this is the biggest factor that you are holding on to as you're making your decision, I can see a million ways that it will backfire. Because just look at now, even even the science majors or the STEM graduates.、Mm. They don't necessarily have a well-paid job waiting for them. Or if you look at the tech industry this year, and it's not just in China but also in the U.S., you're seeing layoffs as well, and software engineers get laid off. And I was so surprised when I saw this piece of news. And why is that? Well, ChatGPT and the other language generative tools, as well as you know, artificial intelligence, and they're taking all kinds of jobs away, including including some of these tech jobs, which is really surprising to me. But also,、um, which you know, what I'm going to share with you is not going to make you smile, but I'm just going to keep going. And AI is. Already taking away some of the creative jobs as well as traditionally perceived as white collar jobs. For example, like paralegals. You know, these are like junior level、uh, law workers in a law firm. As such, their jobs can easily be taken over 
by AI. And also the other day we talked about bank tellers who work in a bank and remember 20, 30 years ago, this is considered as a well, would it be a dream job? But cer certainly a secure job for people. And now these jobs could be the first ones on the um, chopping board. So I just fear that if you think that, oh, I'm just going to earn a lot of money. This is what I'm going to do. Great. I mean, you know, if that's what you want to do in life. But if this is the sole reason that you're looking or the sole lens that you're looking through, then there's a big chance that you won't get what you want that way. So, well, but also bear in mind, if you go into journalism, you know that you will not get a fat paycheck. If you do, it's probably through transferable skills or on top of what you learned in uh, journalism school, you've managed to utilize those skills in a creative way or something like that. I've said too much. Josh, I'm sure you have some brilliant ideas and please share with us. Wow, what a uh, what a transition. I do have <laughs> some ideas about this. I, I think that it's so difficult for me, you know, to not think about this from a, a truly sort of unique individual perspective because um, and I think that it's probably the same for a lot of people. And I think that the reason for this, if I can give any wisdom on this, um, having worked at university for a while and also having studied social sciences and not actually used it in some of my jobs at all, I, I think that just don't worry too much about being defined by your major, I, I would say, if I can share any wisdom. I, I think that we, we have to remember that one of the reasons why, and also I, I would maybe dispute or at least play devil's advocate with the idea that AI is just going to remove jobs full stop. Mm -hmm. I think that it will, but I think jobs are going to change. I think new jobs will will yeah. take their place and the this change is not going to be easy and it's going to be tough initially right now. But I do think that these skills will reemerge and people will have to find new skills. Humanity will. And also at university, what are the key skills that you learn? I would argue that one of the main skills that you learn is communication, critical thinking, um, collaboration, things like this. And those skills are massively transferable. So I, I really don't think that there's that as much to worry about as people think. I'm not in any way trying to belittle or um, say that I don't appreciate how stressful it is because I was terribly stressed about it. but. I have realized, and I think many others as well, that it doesn't define you in the end. So I, I, if I can share any wisdom, I'd just say keep, keep that in mind, please. Yes. Yeah. And what we were talking about is that it has something to do with the trend that this society is going on, right? Um, we've been talking about this AI, which is super popular right now. In the past, China experienced a boom in infrastructure in the uh, development making civil engineering, which is what we call a favorable field, right? And later on, the internet industry or the so-called STEM-related majors became a booming sector. And after that, we can see some like foreign languages, finance and accounting, or even education and training industry are also very popular in recent years. So we cannot only say that which category is better. Um, but we have to choose majors according to different time, different ages, and 
also according to your this individual's interest i think because if you are not happy with what you are learning mm -hmm. you, you cannot be outstanding in it i think that's a good point also i'd like to highlight and i think both of you might have alluded to um so many good points basically many people are earning a living doing something unrelated to their first degree so therefore this is just a fact of life and don't fret too much over, oh, did I get this choice right or wrong? And also Josh mentioned earlier about new jobs will be created thanks to technological advancement. And I totally agree with you. But where are those jobs? It's in the making. And what about the academic education that is available to people in mass numbers? they're bound to be out of date to what is needed in the job market now. And is it a good thing or a bad thing? You still have four years to think about this and the job market will evolve as well. So therefore, my point is, in the future, the kind of talent that organizations or um, are going to be scouting for or, you know, the talent that will stand out in employment in the future are people who have the skills that are kind of fluid, that they can learn on the job, or they're maybe self-employed, and then they can find their own direction, find their own ways to make revenue for themselves, and adapt to the fast-changing economy that we live in now. So therefore, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm entering a dark place here, or potentially a happy place. That is maybe what you learn in the four years in your bachelor's degree might not even matter all that much. It's acquiring the skills to survive in this fast-changing economy. So, Josh, here's a question for you and also you should. You've got this task in front of you, making that decision of choosing your college major. What's your thinking process that you would recommend to people? My process would be at first, take a breath. Don't get overwhelmed by this. Remember that as much as it might seem like you're about to sign away the rest of your life with this choice, you're really not. So I would prelude it with this. And then I think that I, I genuinely believe that we had this discussion here about somebody who was really good at maths, but wanted to study, was, was it journalism? Yeah. What, what was the, or a social science subject? Journalism. Right? You mentioned earlier? Yes. And. In that instance, I would say choose the social sciences subject. Uh, I, I really would, because I think that life is worth living. And I, I don't think that there is any point spending four years or five years or more even at university during, you know, maybe the happiest years of your life studying oh. something that you really dislike. Yeah. I, I think that the opportunities that arise from studying something you're passionate about are endless. So I would consider not just which subject you really love though i love playing football but i'm not good enough to be a professional footballer and so i didn't go and study sport right um i also love music i am a musician but i didn't study music so i didn't choose the subject that i just liked the most i chose the subject that i found most academically gratifying and for me that ended up being history so i would consider this which subject do you find most academically gratifying and you should also consider which one you found success in to some degree. I think you should consider that, but ultimately academic gratification. In a nutshell, that's my advice. I know it's a bit vague. Please give give some more specific advice, Yushin. Mm. 
I would say you can ask yourself one question: What are your biggest priorities? Actually, we saw some of the interviews of this coach Zhang Xuefeng. He said some people ask him, "How can you just define which major this student should choose? Because you don't know him at all, right?" And then he just asked some questions to his parents, to the student's parents, like, "What is your priority? Do you want to make a big amount of money, or do you want to just be happy?" Then the parents' preference for the kid's future. Yeah, because the parents are asking him, the, oh, you know, advice. Something fundamentally wrong. Chinese so, families. <laughs> when you are, when the students is also choosing majors, they can also ask themselves this question. What are their priorities? Some students pursue certain majors primarily based upon salary potential、mm. and job demand, and other students may just, you know, focus on his or her passion and、um, or they're highly skilled in. So before you choose a major, think about which of these three factors—economic advantage, or interest level, or your ability—are most important and relevant to you and your goals. I'd say doing a bit more research is always a good thing, and then you know, sort of find that information, and then see what is best for your own situation. And also, I just like to say maybe see if this thing aligns with your personal mission. I know this might sound a little bit lofty, but well, some people might you know go deep, you know, and、uh, your value and passion, and hopefully you'll come up with the best. Decision for yourself, and also your major is not the end all be all when it comes to your future career success or happiness. It's maybe just a very small slice to it. So don't worry too much and do your research. Coming up next, study tours are getting really popular in China, and they are getting more expensive too. Stick around, everybody. We'll be back after this break. From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing, Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hardworking person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment. Income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance, and principles. You can follow the stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms.
discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Yang. I'm joined by Yu Shun in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, study tours are getting popular, especially during summer vacation time. Students of a range of age groups look to have an outside-of-classroom experience, which comes with an increasingly expensive price tag. What can one get from study tours? How to improve these study trips? And we share with you what's made us happy this week in Roundtable's Happy Place. Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. And please keep sending us your comments, thoughts, and questions to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Your voice could be featured in the show in our Heart to Heart segment. Now on Roundtable, a study tour is a trip taken by a group of people in order to study something, such as a language. Painting or geographic knowledge. Such tours have been increasingly popular among students and parents in China. Latest figures show that more than six million people embarked on study tours in 2022. On the one hand, this huge demand has driven up prices to shocking levels. On the other, concerns about quality and safety of study trips have emerged. So. What exactly are these trips for studying purposes, and how do you even say it in Chinese?、Mm. Yu Shun. Yeah, it's called Yanxue in Chinese, and it is a unique travel experience that combines learning with traveling and allowing you to have a hands-on learning experience in your area of study. And it's also known as an educational tour. Because students can learn something from it, and a study travel focuses on learning knowledge while traveling, and it can provide travel products and services for age groups ranging from elementary school to young professionals. Students often travel for the primary purposes of participating in educational opportunities, leisure activities, cultural experiences, musical and art performances, and sporting events. Yes. Never heard of Yanxue before. I've heard of Youxue, which、oh. was more about、um, you travel, travel abroad. Yeah, or maybe maybe abroad, or maybe to a different province or somewhere、mm. else, as opposed to where you live in, and also you study something. So, despite the difference in the Chinese characters just mentioned, supposedly this is more study focused. Actually, recently I've seen many study trips or like yanxue that are happening right now in Beijing. They they are taking kids to sceneries like a Temple of Heaven or the Palace Museum to learn about the history and sketch the buildings.、Mm-hmm. So I think、um, nowadays the you know the extracurricular activities of students are so much more enriched. Both physically and mentally, and、um, you know they got more opportunities to learn. But I'm not pretty sure that how much of percentage it is in learning or having fun. But it's a good chance for parents and students to you know go together and、um, actually do something. Right. Hold on. Parents are going as well. Yes, absolutely.、Oh, okay.、Um, that kills the fun in a lot of times. <laughs> <laughs>、uh, Josh. Do you like this idea of study tours or yanxue? 
I do very much. And I think I may have even been on some myself, to be honest, or at least maybe more glamorous ones. I've, I've studied abroad a lot. And during that time, I went on study tours and things. I mean, I studied history, right? So study tours are actually really important for that particular subject. Um, and also I studied languages. I actually studied a few languages, although I don't say it out loud often because my competency in those languages is so poor. But And in order to study that language, I went to that respective country where the language was spoken fluently. And that was amazing. It, it really works so well. It's so immersive. And also for a subject like history, going to the geographical location. I remember I went to Berlin on a study tour and anybody that's been to Berlin knows that there's a place called Museum Island, basically is the English translation where, yeah, where all the museums are. And you can go into the Reichstag, which is the main government building, and they've preserved so much of it from World War II and the Russian invasion and things like this. And it just brings everything to life. And it allowed me to memorize so much more, even dates and stuff like that when I was in the city. So for, I think study tours are, can be really amazing. And I don't really see any downsides to it, to be honest. But yeah, I have great memories of it personally. Yeah, the only downside I can think of is money. Yes. <laughs> yes <of course. laughs> and also if parents are going along, I thought it was, it was a way to park the kids, you know, for these summer trips and things. But uh, also the bills add up. And um, this is actually one of the main reasons why uh, people are talking about it. That is, it can get shockingly expensive with these study tours in China. Mm. Legal Daily reports that most study trips are expensive. A one-day or half-day study trip usually costs hundreds of yuan to thousands of yuan, while a longer, like, cross-provincial study trip can cost thousands of yuan to tens of thousands of yuan. What? Which means you can actually travel to some, you know, foreign countries. Prices can vary greatly among different regions and companies. Mr. Chen, who is an industry insider in Wuhan, told Legal Daily that there is not a price standard in the industry. So companies wow. can charge whatever prices they want. So yeah, I think that's because, you know, the study trip is still quite a new idea among activities. It's kind of in the gray area between field trip and tourism group. So the price standard is yet to be regulated. Yeah. Do you think regulation is the best uh, medicine to the cure here, Josh? Mm, hmm. I'm not sure. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if regulation is, I, I think it really depends on the kind of tour or study tour you're going on, to be honest. Mm. Um, I, I think it really depends. And the concept is not new, but mm. also think uh, consider COVID, you know, after, I suppose, at least a couple of years when um, these kind of programs probably grinded to a halt. And now there's this almost pent up demand or there is this drive of people who and, and parents who want to send their kids out there to to see places to experience and immerse and get a true feel of what they're studying or whether they're a good fit let's say um you know with going international to a foreign country and see if you feel you can live here or can you sort of 
is your language level proficient to study in that area or, or something like that? I think these are, in theory, some good preparations for young people in figuring out what they want to do next or, or something along those lines. But if it's that expensive, then it is a matter that probably, well, is this more of a luxury than a necessity? Um, I think that should also depend on, you know, the demand of um, the student or the parents, actually. Some parents just want the, um, their kids to have fun. And meanwhile, they could learn something from it. And also they could have some, you know, parent-kid time together during this session. Then I think, why not, right? Um, but if this parent just want their kids to actually learn something from this trip, maybe they need to do a good research on what they're going to do, what they can get. Maybe they even can get some certificate from this kind of a trip. That is also one of the points that a lot of people are questioning about these study trips is that are they really qualified to call themselves study trip? Because they are actually just leading kids, leading these group of people to some certain, uh, you know, scenery spots. And maybe they're not even good as a tourist guide because they're just introducing something. So that is something that we need to consider that, you know, the qualification and the quality of these study trips. So just a glorified tourist group, maybe, if the quality of the experience that's being offered here is simply not that educational, nor is it that good. Josh, what do you think? Yeah, I think some of them are slightly glorified vacations. I think that would be a fair assessment. And although I guess maybe this is because I'm older now, but and I guess it depends on one's specific relationship with that specific family member. But the idea of going and studying with a family member doesn't seem that bad to me. It seems like quite a nice thing to do, actually. Really? Um, you have grown yeah, older. I mean, more to mature. Go and, bond over learning something it, again it really depends on your relationship you yeah. know because i think for some members of my family it would just be out what outright fighting the whole time and competition <laughs> there'd be absolutely no fun at all <clears throat> alfie my little brother cough, cough. but i <laughs> but i think that it could be really a really awesome thing to do um at least in my experience i guess it depends on the intensity as well you know a lot of coming from the uk where people at least native English speakers aren't that great at learning languages or we just don't have the opportunity. There are so many advertisements, as there are for learning English I've seen in Beijing, but so many advertisements for learning a second language in the UK. And a lot of them are tailored as study tours, actually. And one of the things that they often promise, which is not really something that you can promise or that they tell you, is that by the end of it, you'll be able to speak said language conversationally or to this level the reality of that is often bogus different, right yeah how long are these study trips it depends i i think it it, it depends on what you're doing of course if you're going to learn a language yeah. and for for a lot of brits it's from level zero right so it's their first experience with that language or they may know a few words but they just haven't used it so in order to get a grasp of any language you've got to commit for a a decent amount of time yeah. you know so uh, i was on a study i mean i would say that i was on one for about nine months once honestly um learning that's chinese yeah. study tour that's like overseas studying program like that's a semester uh, yeah well, oh yes <laughs> <laughs> academic no, year <laughs> it wasn't though it wasn't though 
it was like a massive long study tour, to be honest with you, um, because I just kept prolonging it. Oh, that's how you yes. do it, huh? <laughs> I've been on a study tour when I was in high school in the UK, and uh, we went to the Sinai Desert. I only found out later how oh, wow. expensive it was. I had no um, knowledge about Christianity or that part of the history, so I was confused why we were asked to climb these mountains. And yeah, because sorry, but I just simply didn't know. And uh, now when I look back, I think it was more of a fun school trip. I don't think I learned anything in like knowledge wise, uh, per se, but it was a great experience with can i ask um, you a question yes could you can do you think now you can point to the sinai desert on a map of the world oh don't challenge me because i will come oh, out oh i thought poorly. you were gonna say yes of course <laughs> <laughs> out of the world map i think vaguely maybe but my what i was trying to get at josh is if i were a parent i probably wouldn't have sent my kid on that trip because i think i just had a lot of i had fun but considering yeah. the amount of money that my parents were paying i don't that think it was worth though. it, it yeah fantastic. i think they would because they just want you to have fun because they are not quite familiar with what you're going to they, do they, what, my right. see like i didn't even understand what <laughs> i was doing so my parents would in no way understand where they were sending me they mm. they knew it was going to be safe because it was a school trip and then you know the the school was like you know we'll, we'll make sure that uh she's gonna come back in one piece that kind of thing mm. <laughs> that's what we were talking yeah. about they want you to experience that. yeah and also because yeah. i was just uh it was the first semester is that what you call the first term of the year as i went to the uk and my my parents really wanted me to mingle with my schoolmates and um, don't be left out and s stuff. Yeah, I, I think that, I think Yushun was also alluding to this idea, right, that probably that was a lot more beneficial than than you may be uh, saying right now, I think, for you. Because I, I really do think that that real world application that study tour gives you and also the cultural immersion that you had at that age to be able yeah. to go to the Sinai Desert. And even though maybe... You, you feel maybe that you didn't remember a lot of facts or something like that, something more tangible. But actually, I, I think that that probably, do you think that it helped to shape you into the person you are today? No. You know, having that, <laughs> that ability to appreciate other cultures and, you know, I was studying I, I in the UK. Of course, I appreciate different cultures. <laughs> you I say, mean, of course, but yeah. not everybody gets the opportunity to appreciate other cultures, even if they want to, you know, I, yeah. I think that that just comes with travel and experience. Yeah, personally, I, personally, I think this is about the philosophy of how you want to raise your kids. Do you want to raise them in a way that, you know, so many Chinese parents, they're they're so doting and uh, unconditional love. And I, I really, it, it makes me want to cry when I think about Chinese parents. It's like they'll do anything just to make it the best for their kids. And I don't have a kid. And right now I'm thinking about this at this moment. I think maybe 
you know, let's just switch it up a little bit. Maybe raise your kids in a relative stingy way, you know, is, is, is not a bad idea either. You know, just the necessities, none of the luxuries in the Heian household in the future. <laughs> I'm just imagining this. But one, one should be grateful about these opportunities that uh, parents are willing to create for you. And because we're talking about st- study tours and it's underage people mostly that um, have these tours funded by their parents. It's not like you're making your own decision, you know, earning your own money, how you want to sort of design and embrace your own life. So yeah, I think there's a little bit of a difference there. And no matter what, it seems like globally educational tourism is a thing and it is growing fast. Globally, data from Grandview Research shows that the global educational tourism market size was estimated at at $365 billion in 2022 and is expected to expand at a compound annual growth rate of 13% from 2023 to 2030. According to Future Market Insights, the total number of global educational tourists in 2022 was over 6 million. I think that it's very important for the economy. I think that I know that study tours are slightly different to study abroad programs. I know that we can probably distinguish between them a little bit, but I do think they're connected. And it probably won't surprise you to know that the United Kingdom is the second most popular country to study abroad in. And off the back of that, it's also a really popular destination for study tours within the United Kingdom. One of the reasons for that is because the UK is really quite close to the coast. And so it's quite easy to go and have a day out or a couple of days away to see that those quite stunning geographical locations and see the ocean, for example. Mm. Not a lot of opportunities uh, are available for for people to go that easily to the sea. But in the UK, you're only ever like three hours drive away from it. Right. Quick follow-up question to that. Um, In China, well, uh, we've seen sometimes parents would take their kids to Peking University or Tsinghua University when they're really young and uh, just for a tour and say, you know, work hard. One day you can go to these top universities. Mm. Do British parents do the same? Take their kids to Oxbridge and go, kid, you know, want a bright future? Study here in 10 years, you know, like work hard. Does that happen? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, it <laughs> happened to me, actually. Oh, <laughs> but, good but for you, I, I guess. But I wasn't taken by my parents. I was taken by my high school when mm. I was about 13, 14. Yeah. They took some of the students that were supposed to be getting good enough grades to go to this university for us to look around mm. campus to inspire us right. to keep getting A grades. Yeah, didn't end up going there, so <laughs> so it didn't work. <laughs> but, but you know, uh, being yeah. aspired to do well—that's that's cool. So, how can these study tours in China be improved? Yeah, I think the key word is standardization. Uh, it's necessary to produce more professional study travel guides and recruit talent to develop curriculums that will be used during the study travels. We also need a state-level standard to help us better set up recruiting requirements and training for employees. I'd say call it 
don't send your kid on these unnecessary study tours. You know, raise them as reasonable young people who can see things clearly. <laughs> it's just when the demand and supply don't match and then you get these um, pretty outrageous uh, prices as, at, at points. So just a thought. Coming up next, Roundtable's Happy Place. Delivery. 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 What is it? Happiness from Round Table. This week, I like to start with my happy place, which involves a longtime listener getting in contact with us after four years' time. Here is an audio clip from David Lai. Hello, Round Table team, and also hello to all the listeners. My name is David Lai. I am an international student who happens to be blind from China, currently studying at the Jacobs School of Music, Indiana University, Bloomington, as a doctoral student in piano performance. I'm currently spending my summer holidays in Hangzhou before returning to the U.S. for my third year of coursework. Recently, as I reunited with my friends, Professors and teachers in Beijing, where I studied for 14 years, I also reconnected with a show that I've really enjoyed almost starting from the very beginning. I started listening to Roundtable before this was actually a one-hour show. It was, as I remember it, a half-an-hour segment on a show. At that time, it was called... China Drive. It was a news magazine show. And I've really enjoyed listening to the three hosts talk about hot social issues in a way that is very approachable, personal, and also professional. It is、um, a really wonderful and interactive show, and it makes very good listening experience. So you can imagine my joy. When I tuned in live to the show four years after not being able to do it in the states, that really made my afternoon. And of course, hearing familiar voices, especially that of Huyang,、um, really brightened my day. So you can say that I reunited with my radio friends across airwaves in a way that is live and at the moment. What really stood out to me about Roundtable is the way that the hosts discuss hot social topics in a way that is approachable, personal, and yet also professional. And it has offered inspiration and topics for me to talk with my friends, improving my English. More importantly, this show has really opened a window for me to see the world in a different light. I really am grateful. For all that、um, the Roundtable team is doing, I'm so happy to be back in China and also to be tuning in to the show live. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. Bye for now. Thank you so much, David. You got me sentimental.、Um, I remember meeting you. Was it around 2015? You and your dad came to visit our radio station. And looking at your accomplishments today, David. You make me feel. Gosh, what have I done with my life? 
David maybe cannot see, but it doesn't stop him from taking the Chinese gaokao, play the piano to professional level, and pursue his dream. David, and your loving parents, you've all shown us perseverance and passion can take you to incredible places. And thank you so much for getting in contact with us and sharing your remarkable story. And this is our happy place this week. Josh, do you have a few words to say here? Well, it's always so lovely to hear the longtime listeners. And Heyang told me uh, a, a bit about you, David, uh, before the show. And uh, it, it does sound like you've really ha had some amazing accomplishments. Uh, over the over the over the years, and uh, congratulations to you. I'd like to say congratulations to you, and I, and I hear that you're a musician also, which is uh, really amazing. So yeah, it's also great how much passion and appreciation you have for the medium of radio, and I think that it's radio really does have a place and will have a place in the world. I think even after AI <laughs> takes all of our jobs, I still think radio will be here because just listening the airwaves that that sense that sense is is always so powerful and strong and i and i i love how even if you're abroad that um you can still maintain that connection that quite deep connection and um yeah it sounds like you've been a part of the show much longer than i have so uh, thank you uh, for your comments and thanks for your call yes yes same here um that's basically the story of david and us is so much longer before my time. Um, also, after hearing the story of you guys, I mean, visiting everything, I think it feels like our listeners are growing with us because, you know, not only their skills, not only their abilities are growing, also we are also growing from Roundtable. It's so good to see that we could have such kind of connections with our listeners, and I sincerely hope that we can keep connecting. And David has kindly agreed to share a snippet of his piano performance on today's show. It was recorded in Parker Concert Hall at Brevard NC in the United States last summer. So here's David Lai performing Chopin Prelude Number no. 16 in B flat minor.
was from the amazing David Lai. And David, you are a true inspiration. You know, you're allowed to have a life filled with aspiration, fulfillment, and joy. It's never too late to start doing it. You can create it. What's stopping you? And that brings us to the end of today's roundtable. Thank you so much. Yushun and Josh Cotterell for joining the discussion. I'm He Yang. We'll see you next time.